Welcome to Helpful Social Work. Social work has the power to change people's lives for the better. This podcast aims to help you learn, think and act with integrity so that people who need social work get help that will transform their lives. I'm Jerry, And I'm Jo. And this is our next podcast of our Series 5, set about what makes a good social worker. It's recorded on the 12th of the 2nd, 21, to go out this month. Every month, we're posting a podcast that looks at what makes a great social worker. When we started in April, we looked at the overall ingredients, and we're now looking at each of the domains of the professional capabilities framework in England. We're looking at the practice domains at the moment, and the last podcast was on professionalism, and uh, we're now into the impact domains. This month is context and organisations, and the final month will be professional leadership. Thank you so much for continuing to listen. Um, Despite a slight delay in putting out podcasts, we don't put them out in December, and we didn't manage one in January because of pandemic kind of issues around internet and getting together and things like that. Uh, We still had a lot of downloads in those two months and we are now on coming up to 85,000 downloads and next episode will be our 100th episode and our 101st episode will be our review of the year. So that's something that we can talk about when we get to that one. Please do let us know what you think. Um, You can leave a rating on iTunes and that's really helpful as it makes it more easy for other people to find the podcast uh, but you can also leave a comment on our website helpfulsocialwork.com or on our Facebook page Helpful Social Work Podcast. Well Jerry, a hundred conversations. What a lovely thought. Mm. I could I could actually um, I might start a little book about that. A hundred conversations. So this conversation that we're going to have is all about context and organizations. Um, and context is from the Latin, contextus, uh, putting together um, and also to interweave. And so it's about what is woven together to provide our environment. I really like that idea, all those mm. different strands. And it kind of works nicely with intersectionality too, doesn't it? And that concept, um, which feels like a weaving together too for me. So, as usual, we'll start with what the Professional Capabilities Framework has to say about this domain. And there are different levels to the framework, and we always um, home in on the experienced social worker practitioners who are experienced in their work. Uh, This is either something for us to aim for or something for us to support any social worker. So, let's have a look at what it says about context and organisations. We engage with, inform and adapt to changing organisational contexts and the social and policy environments that shape practice, operate effectively within and contribute to the development of organisations and services, including multi-agency and interprofessional settings. So this to me, Gerry, is, is 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 a really important area for us to think about and this goes on to say that social workers are informed about and proactively respond to the challenges and opportunities that come from changing policy, um, social policy and work context Um, and that this is a responsibility we have in accordance with our professional values and ethics um, as individuals and collective professionals and as members of the organisations in which we work that we collaborate, inform and are informed by our work with other social workers, other professions, individuals and communities. I I think there's a lot in here to unpick and think about and reflect upon, particularly when we think about our relationship to the organisations we work with and the amount of 
work and activity that that we're carrying out. It does link very helpfully with the podcast that we've just done about professionalism, mm. which is about the different hats that social workers wear and the different ways in which we interact um, as a person, as a professional, um, as a person in a particular role or in a particular setting or organisation. And I think it also links back to a lot of the work that we did in our early podcast series, uh, series one and two, around the ecology of social work. So how we are operating within layers of an environment, which included quite a lot of the things that you've just touched on around the public environment, the organisational environment, the interagency environment and our own teams and, and roles. Mm. I wanted to pick up to start with on this idea that social workers are informed about the challenges and opportunities that come from changing social policy and work contexts. Uh, so we're informed about them so that we can respond to them. And it got me thinking about where social workers, where I and others get our information from, and also the soundness of that information and the kind of integrity of that information. So what news do we follow? What social media do we follow? Uh, who, who do we talk to? In the social work profession how do we understand lived experience and hear those voices and connect with those experiences um, how do we how do we collectively inform ourselves um, how do we inform ourselves as part of a global profession what evidence do we gather and a lot of my information comes from the professional body from BASWA and from the International Federation and also from trusted social workers um, and from following them on Twitter. That's my kind of social media place of choice. And also from from news outlets that I feel I can trust. But I also try to inform myself about other views. Um, so, you know, what other news outlets might say or what other voices are saying on Twitter um, or elsewhere, because we the changing social policy and work context is, is is all of it. It's not just the bubble that you happen to be in, isn't it? And it's mm. it's it's an interesting question about how we know what's happening in our context. Yeah, it it, it makes me think about you know um, the social worker who is being overwhelmed by all sorts of information that's coming at them, and if you think about um, any normal social worker on any given day, they've got all of the micro information that comes at them about their individual cases that they're doing, and then also the information about the organisation and its changes and what it's implementing in terms of policy and process and all of those types of things. And then on top of that, it has what why has that organisation chosen to do that? In other words, what information is coming to those organisations from research, from um, governing bodies, from funding bodies, from um, uh, audit bodies and things like that that are driving mm -hmm. those types of changes politically and societally. And then on top of that, you've got the body of um, academic research and bodies of think tanks and all sorts of things that are that are out there, you know, kind of generating huge amounts of information. And one of the things that I've seen um, is that social workers can sometimes really retreat from information because it's over it's overwhelming, um, and so they they rely on what they experience. 
what it is that they're doing, what it is that their um, practice, you know, what they're learning from themselves and from co other colleagues they're practicing with and other agencies they're practicing with and from the people they're practicing with. But that kind of is the limit of what they can take on board in any given day. Um, so I think there's a real challenge and CPD is meant to kind of step in and bridge that gap. And I spend a lot of time um, in the continuous professional development field, but you do get a real sense of fatigue mm -hmm. from some parts of um, our profession at, from time to time. And I'm not saying that's a sweeping statement, but I do think managing information and understanding how much to take on and what to prioritise and how to use it effectively is a real challenge. Yeah, because the next part of that is to proactively respond, and that relies on us having a sense of um, what's important to respond to. So doing that reflective work yeah. about what's important here and what does this mean for social work and what does it mean for me as, as an individual social worker and also collectively. And that's that does help need help, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think there are some real structural challenges in behaving proactively. Mm. I actually think that um, individual social workers, once again, may well be behaving reactively and individually, working with one case after another, thinking about people in their individual pathology and not able to think enough about the context that contribute to people's lived experience and our responsibility for that. Mm. I was speaking with a group of social workers yesterday about the extreme deprivation faced by about 40% of the children in their borough. And I asked them a question and let them go away and talk about it. And they were really puzzled by this question. They really struggled with it. And the reflection that they offered back was, well, what are we supposed to do about that? So they could see their role in the individual responses and they talked really well about that. I had this child and this is what I did. But when it came to the systemic issues and how they would contribute to that, they just couldn't think of what they might do or what they might feed into. And I think this is a real challenge for social work as a profession. How do we be both responsive to the person and think personally, but actually act locally and globally? Yeah. How do social workers use their knowledge and their role to, as upholders of human rights to feed into more systemic responses about issues such as poverty or domestic violence, which disproportionately affect the people they work with, but they seem like really large, unsolvable issues? Yeah, and I think a lot, the part of the answer to that is in this word collaborative. Um, we collaborate um, inform and are informed by our work with other social workers, other professions, individuals and communities, because I think it's really important to strike a balance between recognising my kind of ethical responsibility and also not being overwhelmed mm. by that. And I would never suggest that somebody in practice um, carried the responsibility for fixing the structural issues around them. However, they do have some power with others. Um, we do have some power with others, but it's that shared um, that shared empowerment that's needed, both for mm. social workers and for us as allies of people with lived experience. And it can feel really overwhelming. Yet there are great examples of people doing this. I was talking to a social worker I really respect um, just before this podcast, who was talking about a anti-poverty network they set up in mm. in his, um, his area of work um, and got social work 
leaders on board and got practitioners involved and was working with um, academics who use research to support them and was working with community groups and it you see a, there's a lot of that proactivity um, mm. and there's a lot of that passion and it's just finding ways with others to harness it. I think I think that's a really good point about that collaboration and the fact that we're actually this is none of these issues are ours alone to to solve but what we do have is a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience to offer and so if we can form those networks um, those collaborative networks with other people in our community to look at different topic areas like yeah anti-poverty is a great one anti-racism um, you know anti-violence, however we deal with these things, whatever we call them, um, for social workers to be involved in them alongside their work to the proportion that they're able to manage, I think is very empowering for us, both as a profession and, and as individuals. And I'd like to see a wholesale shift in social work to us working like that across all settings and um, particularly statutory ones where their role is so much narrower than that often mm. however whilst we're pushing for that again collectively there are things that you can do mm. um to to live out some of that and actually the statements in the domain are quite helpful for that so they they are i statements as they always are in the professional capabilities framework but i always think of a kind of we behind that you know a collective voice behind that um mm. So, yeah, being informed, identifying relationships that will support um, the context to change within the organisation, um, understanding the law. Mm. Um, and we, we talk a lot about the Human Rights Act as, as, a, as a lever for supporting change, particularly local authorities and, and other public bodies' responsibility to um to keep people, have people um, free, living free from discrimination. Mm. Um, and then communicating with supervisors, leaders and managers how things can change and improve to support better social work practice. And that's because social workers are close to the, their communities, closer to their communities mm. often than the leaders. And so they, they have a, a really important voice in this. Again, a collective voice is much more influential. Um, and then engaging with other specialists and building team relationships to support you and taking an active role in interprofessional and interagency work so building that network um, with other agencies and that happens within your organization but it can also absolutely happen with your professional body working and, um, and interacting with other professional bodies so I see this as kind of mediation um, and it's about mm. aligning your personal values and the professional values with with the, what the, what that means for you in, in your particular role and thinking about well, what can my role offer um, and who can I work with to to increase the influence that I've got and relating to kind of allies and collaborators um, but particularly with people who have lived experience and I do see really positive aspects of that the care review that happened in Scotland was really grounded in the voice of care experienced people and the, what's come out of it, the promise um, is a commitment that is absolutely about changing contexts and organisations and structures and systems. 
Yeah, and I think for me, um, you know, this this kind of how we mediate with our organisation is is really important, isn't it? Because, um, you know, we need to be able to both um, do do well for the organisations we work for, but also to um, carry out our social work role. Um, and it's that difference between compromising and being compromised, which is the line we always work because we have both care and control duties. Mm. Our role puts us in positions where we're asked to make judgments about the capacity of another human to undertake certain roles and functions in their own life. Um, and sometimes we're in direct opposition to what that person's own beliefs about themselves and their abilities are. And, and the agency that we're commissioned by to carry out these functions will have a certain ethos, expectations, targets, and a whole range of drivers that will also be informing us. So, you know, as an ethical social work professional, our role is to mediate between all these different tensions and carry out actions that uphold a person's human rights mm. and allow them the space and place to thrive in their own day-to-day -day life. And if these, if our actions, things that we do impinge on those rights due to the need for care, we really need to be able to evidence the necessity for that impingement and then have clarity about the impact and also ensure that they're time bound so that they're reviewed with a view to the situation be, being different in the future or for us to understanding things differently in the future. And that all requires us, that job, which is really complex and so important, really requires us to be able to stand independent of our employer to question and challenge mm. as well as carry out the functions required of us. And I think that's, for me, that's what makes professional bodies, the, the British Association of Social Work here in the UK, but when I was in Australia, the Australian Association of Social Work, you know, the International Federation of Social Work across the globe. Um, it's important that we have professional bodies to represent us and support us to actually uphold our code of ethics and our profession as we do this work, yeah. because we need to always, because we are in that mediation role and we need to be always holding in mind the rights and responsibilities of each individual and the rights and the responsibility of the collective and the employer. And, and you know, that's a, that's a, a very delicate balance, really. Yeah. There's a couple of things I wanted to pick up on from that. One is just, just to say um, that a professional body is also a group of people trying to figure stuff out. Mm. So within a healthy professional body, and certainly this is my experience at Baz, where there is a lot of discussion and debate about what's happening in the context and the best way to respond to it and what, what's the strategy, but also what's the priorities and what's the immediate response and what's the longer term response. And so the more people who are involved in that, the more informed and the better that discussion and that those judgments are um, and trying to keep those discussions really led by practice is, is vital. Mm because that's where a lot of the wisdom comes and making sure that they happen in um, in partnership with people who whose who lives are affecting social workers. It's the richness of the debate, isn't it, and the reality of the debate that they bring. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I, I I really value the the challenge and the argument, yeah, the, the proper, in its proper sense, that real kind of passionate discussion that happens. Mm. Um, but the other thing is is about the kind of 
context for now and context for the future. So, so when I talk to people about how they're getting on with their current work, I always try to think of it as a kind of two-part conversation. So this is what's sustaining you right now? How are you managing these conflicts and these um, these balances and these dilemmas now? And also, can we just try and look up and think for the future where, you, where you'd want your path to go and where you'd want the path of your profession to go? And I think that's one of the things that contexts and organisations as a kind of domain um, helps us to think about is, is the kind of is the future orientation. Mm. So I wanted to pick up on social work after COVID or the, in the aftermath of the pandemic. So we've talked a lot about in our various podcasts about um, the here and now. Mm. Uh, but the guidance from Basel about social work role in in um in disasters and, and including pandemic has a very future orientated role. So thinking about what can we take from this and how can social work role change in the future and how can it be more orientated to public health and how can it be more about reconstruction and rebuilding and community led recovery and all those kind of things. And so if you if you look at that guidance, um, which is on the Basel website, basel.co.uk, there's a lot of thinking about through the different phases um, so mm. there's as the crisis eases, which I have to say in the UK, it has not by any means, um, but we still need to start thinking to the future. There's reconstruction, social work's role in learning and identifying better practices for ourselves. Um, there's thinking about prevention for the future. There's thinking about what a blend of before and now might look like in the future. Um, and there's working with communities to support the ongoing recovery that's needed. So thinking that you know, this is not just about, oh, it's over, it's great. Um, let's go back to how things were before, but how we kind of support ongoing recovery because things can take a long time to work through. And also a really important element of ongoing self-care. So the, the long haul um, recovery that's needed. And there was a, also a good report from King's Fund on COVID-19 recovery and res resilience and learning from other disasters. So lots of learning from our colleagues, um, health and social care colleagues in Australia and New Zealand particularly, and thinking about support for mental health as we mm. um, look to the future, ensuring that some communities aren't, aren't left behind. So what does recovery look like for everyone? And, and again, social work's role would be prioritising people who might be forgotten. Community-led recovery and also prioritising workforce wellbeing. Yeah, it's about what do we want to take into the future with us and what might we want to leave behind. And I think that, you know, our our profession and not just our profession, the you know, the public facing professions have really responded agilely and with a flexibility, I think, um, both in this country and around the world. There's a, a really excellent report put out by the International Federation of Social Work, which highlights the work done around the world by social workers in this pandemic. And there's some really good learning there for that. And this crisis has given us the opportunity to begin to think about how we respond as communities when we're under threat. We really have pulled into that community focus and I think that's a great thing to see this awareness continue and, and kind of extend into other threats we're under, such as poverty, climate change, and the impact this has on poorer communities, domestic violence and how we respond and support people to build healthy relationships that endure in stressful times, you know, mental health, 
and how we can all keep well and connected during times of extraordinary stress and be used to promote relationship and connectivity and perhaps combat the epidemic of loneliness that was actually really plaguing us before COVID. Um, you know, for me, it's all about lifting our heads from our individual responses, where what we do all day is respond to a single case incident, a single case incident, a single case incident, without linking up the common themes, but also doing doing the work that is needed to, to tackle them systemically throughout society in partnership with all the other agencies that are also singularly responding so I think there's a real chance in this new technical world for us to have much more connectivity across agencies, because I've certainly attended many more lectures and meetings and different and diverse communities um, and spoken with many more people than I would have had access to pre-COVID actually. And I've heard so many different voices and so many rich ideas that keep challenging and, and provoking thought. I think I, I would love to see this this um these online communities um of learning and thinking across the globe staying strong um after COVID. And it is an opportunity to take the best of social work forward. Um and I I don't want that to sound glib because there are lots of barriers in the structures and the social norms and the cultures and the economy, um, mm. you know, the money that's available and the, the, you know, how important people see this, the public see this and, and the governments, which nation you're in. And where it's distributed and distribution, Jerry. Hmm. But there is also so much more that social work could be. So Baz was mm. currently um, finalising a kind of, finalizing a, a, you know, a putting together a vision for social work that was it was shared in you know in the autumn and we had a round table to look at it um and we, we're going to be releasing a kind of more more informed draft because we've had more consultation it's a work in progress of course but the the essence of it is to think about all that social work could be mm. so we if we were close to our communities everywhere and if we were part of a network of social security not a kind of last resort because there's mm. not been anything else um if we were able to be empowering and support communities and support independence um citizenship you know people's rights and we weren't punitive mm. um and if we if we were able to realize our therapeutic potential as well because social workers are so often coordinating support from others rather than enabled to offer mm. the social work therapeutic support um, mm. and relational support um, and all of that relying on social work being properly recognized and supported um, and not policed only policed well, sorry if I haven't just yeah, that in, but yeah. you know like for me one of the things is we're heavily policed but I don't know that we're heavily um enabled so yeah, and it does vary depending where you are and what setting you're yeah. in so an example i would give is is um palliative care social workers uh where where you have a a social worker in a hospice for example or in a palliative care service 
the, the therapeutic work that they're enabled to do alongside the practical support, alongside the relational work, alongside the counselling kind of role, um, and then as, a, as part of a multi-agency team with their specialism recognised, it's really different. And, and often those places, hospices, are embedded in communities and are known as places of therapy and, and recovery and um, support and help in times of loss. And the community knows that and there's, you know, mm. it's, it's mm. a really different um, way that social work can be. And it's, it's not it's not by any means unique to that setting, but you know, we we see that potential, don't we? It's it's about finding well, ways to realise it. Social work, my first social work placement as a student, you've just pushed me straight back to it, was with the Child Health and Development Unit. And it was a multi-agency um, unit where I was one of the professionals, you know, so there was an occupational health worker, there was a speech therapist, there was a psychiatrist, psychologist and a social worker. And they were a team that worked um, in that setting with families. And yeah, you were, you were given huge um, creativity and permission to um, work therapeutically. In fact, well, in fact, they would have stared at you if you hadn't, um, I guess. But, but yes, of course, there's, there's many different ways that social work can look. And it's about us. It's about us navigating and, and challenging and negotiating our role well so that the things we do best are the things that we're able to bring into our work. You know, we bring our best self to work in our profession and, and that's a wonderful idea. The other thing I think I should probably, I'd, li I'd like to acknowledge, um, and I think it's right to acknowledge, is that the social work voice, voice is by no means equal either. So within the profession, some people are heard much more than others. And that mm -hmm. falls into all kinds of discriminatory um, areas. Race is an obvious one. Um, mm -hmm. you know, who gets to be a leader? Who gets to be heard? Who gets to influence um, how organisations respond to people? So there's also loads of work for us to do to learn from um you know, and really capture the best of our own profession as well as trying to influence outside. Well, as you pointed out, we also are organisations with contexts um, and we have all the struggles. Everyone, you know, we, 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 all, we all bring these struggles to the table. Whenever a group gets together, they create a context and they create all of those conditions that, we're, that we've talked about. Um, and for me, some of the things you've talked about here, really, it's about robust, authentic and courageous conversations where you expose yourself to as much difference as you can and listen to it carefully and, and try and learn from it and also think that your your voice and your learning is equal to that. Does that make sense? So that there's a there's a kind of real equality in the exchange um, of the of the views, but that you're making sure that there's there's a richness and diversity of those views. Um, and there's an important and, role in amplifying voices that aren't heard. As now I've been reading a lot about allyship and you know, passing the mic, basically passing the platform. Um, bringing people into conversations who wouldn't necessarily be brought in, making sure that people are heard and, and their expertise is acknowledged and referenced properly. 
Yeah. There's something there about passing the chair too, isn't there? Like if you have regular meeting, then share the chairing of that meeting so that everybody gets a chance to kind of run and, and, and hold and hold the mic, so to speak. There's just a, there's kind of lots of little simple things that you can do to kind of flatten out your structure a bit so that people feel they have an equal place and space to sit. But yes, um, being mindful of all of that. So, so this is so this actual this area, isn't it, um, is is so important to how we are able in the long run to respond effectively to the people that we that we're working with. So we have a couple of reflective questions that we wanted to share with people. The first is how do I engage with my context healthily, and the second is what do I want to bring into my social work future. 